Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the NFL Scotland podcast. My name is Cameron Hobbs. Now, at the end of the last podcast, we told you that it would be the end of July, at least until myself and Paul were back in the studio, where we're going to be kicking things off, looking ahead to the 2019 season. But until then, we're always going to be looking out for little bits of content that we think will be useful with, of course, that Scottish slant on things. So with that in mind, we were delighted to be joined by Martin Geisler of BBC Scotland's The Nine. Of course, Martin used to cover the Scottish Claymores way back in the day for STV. We caught up with him to look back on some of those fond Claymore memories. So delighted to be joined now by presenter from The Nine, former Claymores TV highlight presenter as well, Martin Geisler. Good afternoon, Martin. Afternoon, how are you? I'm very well, thank you for joining us. Um, so we're going to touch on the Claymores, but before we get into that, first of all, we always like to ask our new guests, kind of what got them into the NFL? So what was it for you that drew your eye and what keeps you watching from time to time? Well, the Claymores got me in really, and it was a professional uh, introduction rather than anything else. Um, I had a kind of passing interest like a lot of people had when Channel 4 were showing the game, I guess that's what everybody says to you. And and I wasn't obsessive about it, I was aware other kids at school were far more obsessive, but my my parents had some friends I remember around for dinner once who were over from uh, from Atlanta and they brought me an Atlanta Falcon sweatshirt and uh, I kind of wore that with pride and I had a, a Nelly Raiders top as well um, way back in the day when that was vaguely fashionable so I had a, <laughs> half an eye on it but it was the fashion rather than the sport anyway fast forward about what 10 years from that and um, I was sitting in the office, uh, I was working for Scotland Today at the time, and, and in the summer when well, Jim Delahunt was the main sports presenter back then, uh, and, and he was off on holiday, so I'd go f- and fill in and present the sport for a month. And the boss came through and said, look, you know we do this American football highlights program, and I said, well, vaguely, and he said, um, well, the presenter has just left, and we need somebody to present it, do you want to do it? And I said, look, I don't really know anything about the game. I'm going to get caught out. This is not a, you know, this is a game for, this is presumably a program that's going to be watched by purists and, and obsessives because it's quite, you know, quite a niche sport at the moment. Bluffers will be caught out. And he said, no, don't worry about it. You can go over to their training camp in Georgia in the States for, for a couple of weeks and, and learn all about it. And I said, now you're talking. And then he said, listen, besides... It's only a highlights programme. Every second weekend at, uh, at Murrayfield, and it's just the, the links to the game. And then every other weekend, you're in you know, Barcelona, Amsterdam, Dusseldorf, Frankfurt. <laughs> Stop! Where do I sign? <laughs> so uh, about three weeks later, I found myself in, in Carrollton, a little town in, in, in the backwoods of Georgia, uh, in a little motel where the Claymores were based, sitting on the back pitches, watching them train in the high school uh, for about a fortnight, and getting to know about the team and the players and most importantly the sport and and I just kind of somebody you know I got that old description from somebody out there of you know chess with violence and, I, and I'd heard that before and I was kind of interested in that and they said well you know and then they just talked me through how a playbook works and you know everybody on the on the field when they call you know let's call ice 11 every single man on the field knows exactly what they have to do. The wide receiver knows, 10 steps forward, three paces to the right, up, turn, look. Uh, um, and, and that kind of balletic, almost, choreography f- absolutely fascinated me. And it transformed the way I watched the game. So wherever I went with them, I, I went from like, being a guy who quite fancied a bit of a laugh and a bit of travel and, and getting my face in the telly, to, um, to, to, to actually having a fairly decent knowledge of the game. And I was very lucky because I could hang out with the players, talk to them after training, and watch from the press box with guys who very quickly became my friends, 
who were encyclopedic about the sport and and what what a what a privilege to 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 learn in that kind of an environment it was it was great absolutely and i think for people like me certainly i absolutely still associate you with the scottish claymores and like <laughs> so many people um getting into yeah. it I, with... I haven't done anything else really in the last 20 years <laughs> yeah you're right thanks for that <laughs> um but that's where it all began and i just i remember you doing the coverage um and like you I was learning the game for the first time really myself as well. I'd seen the flashy stuff on Channel 4, didn't have a clue. But actually going along to the game allowed you to do so much more. So there was, there was lots of people in Scotland went on that same journey with you. How did you find yeah. the sort of the feedback and knowledge around how what you were doing and how much did you enjoy the whole experience of following them? I found it quite intimidating, to be honest, because I felt like a bluffer. I still, yeah. you know, I've got this kind of bluffer's attitude all the way through life. I still think I'm bluffing it as a news reporter. <laughs> I've been doing it 20 years and I've kind of, you know, been all around the world doing it. So, um, but, you know, kind of tough it out. Um, but I, I, I did feel like I didn't really deserve to be there. And I was acutely aware of the fact that others would have killed for that job. And I felt a bit of a fraud having it because I didn't have this deep passion for the sport. But, you know, that's not a bad feeling to have sometimes in your life because you get a respect for the job then. If you feel you're not worthy of it, you respect the position more. And there's no arrogance about it. And you, you work a bit harder. And there was a great team around me. And the, and, and the Claymore's fans were such a friendly bunch and they were obsessive. So, you know, you'd go to the backfields before a game and hang out and everybody wanted to chat. And it was all, it was, you know, there was no hierarchical thing like you get in, in football in Scotland. And there was there was no animosity and there was no our team's bigger than your team and there was no particular superiority. I was fairly early on caught out as a bluffer by people who I spoke to in the backfields, but they didn't care. They were, they were just a good bunch. I would have a good time and follow the same team. If you were watching the Claymores, you had something in common. That was a it was a big Band of Brothers thing. That was enough for everybody there. It was a really happy times, really happy times. Yeah, and a lot of that's carried through. You still see people very passionate about the Claymores. There's still a big community online of people yeah. who look back at the glory times. You see things coming up on eBay, they get snapped up quickly. There, people in Scotland are really passionate about that team. Yeah, no, absolutely, and rightly so. I mean, I, God, I missed the, I missed the World Bowl season. Uh, I came in the season after the Gavin Hastings season. I missed, um, but and and you know those those heydays were were I mean great times. If you'd grown up watching, the closest you could get, the closest you, the touching distance you had to to physically seeing a game of football, you know, of any decent standard, was on Channel Four, you know, ten years earlier, and suddenly these NFL players rock up. In, in your home country or in your hometown and and the full production is there from the backfields party to the razzmatazz in the in the stadium to what did they get for 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 the world bowl game 40,000 yeah. in murrayfield yeah, i mean it's a, it's it's a fairy tale isn't it that whole thing's a dream come true and then watching the guys go off your know, marco riviera george Coghill going off and really performing in the nfl and following them through the next season knowing there's a chance they might actually come back and be at murrayfield in the close season next time round Oh, yeah, that's, that's fantasy land if you're an obsessive, if you're a great, if you're a big fan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the closest we've got now are the London games. It's great that the NFL is coming back to the UK and those games are, you know, massively sold out. You see the demand for tickets and clearly there's huge thirst and demand for the game in this country. Um, and it may be a little bit of a shame that the Claymore's legacy kind of faltered towards the end and we've there was a bit of a gap before the NFL really started coming back. We perhaps didn't bring it forward into the, into the UK as much as we could have. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, if if the Claymores were were reincarnated now, would they be bigger than they were before? I don't know. I mean, just because you know the London games sell out, 
Um, I, I don't know that necessarily means there's. I, I don't know. Is that a barometer for the level of, of, of passion that still exists up here, or or nationwide for an NFL Europe League? I just I just don't know. I don't think you can translate it. But the the fact is that it's 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 certainly got itself on the map, and 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 um, it's proved that you can be ambitious and do these things, and there's no reason why not. I mean, it's a great advert, isn't it? And it, and it's broadened the palette of of of, of you know. The sports passion in, the, in in this country, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, there was baseball, wasn't there? There was baseball in, in London, the Olympic Stadium last week. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, all these things, all these things are great. There needs to be a bigger alter. This is, you know, speaking as an obsessive football fan, I've got a heart season ticket I have had for you know, 35 years. I go every week, all that. But I am fundamentalist and evangelical about being more... Uh, promotion of other sports and more alternatives for people who don't like football because there are many of them and they, and, and they shouldn't be treated as as the outsiders. It's us football fans that are weirdos. <laughs> Never a truer word, especially the fact you're a Hearts fan. Um, yeah. But yeah, now you touched on, you've had quite the career since then, let's be honest. You, you've gone from being a, a war on the football field correspondent to a hmm. war in real life correspondent. Uh, what was that transition like, going from, obviously, STV covering things in Scotland within Europe to suddenly find yourself in some of these situations? Well, I mean, it was a kind of natural, not natural, I was a kind of, not victim of circumstances, I'll choose my, word, my words carefully here, circumstances fell into place for me quite nicely. Um, I, was a, I wasn't a full-time sports reporter at STV, I was a news reporter there, and then I did this, you know, filled in, I had a passion for sports, so I filled in sometimes, and then suddenly a vacancy came up at ITN, the ITN Scotland correspondent left, and they wanted somebody to go on secondment and fill in for a few months, and so I got the nod, and then just kind of made it mine, I'm quite an ambitious bugger when I feel like it, and, <laughs> and um, I thought, I've got this now, I'm not letting go, so I got the job as a Scotland correspondent, but at that point, there was, a, there was a kind of one of these periods of flux that the world goes through, and the Iraq war started, and that was an all-hands-to-the-pumps thing. So I got sent out to Kuwait a month before the war began, and then got myself into Iraq, and then worked my way up through. I'd never, you know, I, I had absolutely no experience whatsoever of, it, of, of, of that kind of environment at all. But kind of fell in love with it a little bit. It's quite intoxicating, all that kind of thing. And if you're ambitious, and you want to get to the top of the game, and a massive chapter in history world story breaks and you get the chance to be on it you know you're a you're a mug if you don't grip it with both hands but it was tricky you know my kids were what nine months old and three years old at the time and and it was real all that stuff um yeah. but but you know you get noticed quite quickly if you can if you can shine in that environment and that really helped me and and so we did that and we did, I did the tsunami uh, 2004, the Boxing Day tsunami, and then Hurricane Katrina happened, and then suddenly the Africa job came up, and I got that, became Africa correspondent, and then, and then it just went on from there. Did a stint in Europe as Brussels correspondent, and then been back here for the last few years. But yeah, all changed now. Um, slightly more pedestrian pace, but a, a completely new challenge. This new program, the Nine, that we've launched. But we'll get onto that in a minute. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I want to touch on just the Hurricane Katrina bit because obviously yeah. myself and Paul Mitchell were over in New Orleans uh, in November last year. Um, the effects of Hurricane Katrina were, you know, were a good distance away from it. But some of that, certainly on the outskirts of the city, still very real, you know, still visible damage. And um, the city centre itself very much recovered. But, you know, going back to what it was like at that time and the fact as well that the New Orleans Saints opened up the Superdome and let people in. There's, there's clearly a bond between that city and their football team. And something like that, where they obviously pull together, can only help strengthen that. 
Yeah, that was a really, really interesting time. It was dreadful. I mean, it was a, it was a real period of introspection for the States as a whole, wasn't it? The, the, the Hurricane Katrina chapter. Do you remember those images of Bush looking out the window of the plane? That was as near as he got for the first kind of 10 days to, to lending any support or empathy or sympathy to the people on the ground. And that was a very, very bad look. And it made New Orleans and the people in New Orleans feel like a, a, a bit of an enclave. Um, and, and, you know, if, if, if the rest of the world, the rest of their country wasn't going to look after them, they were going to look after themselves. And it was a powerful thing. Do you remember the mayor, Ray Nagan, uh, the mayor of New Orleans, who was very, very outspoken. And that kind of, that enclave mentality, that bunker mentality, um, which is weird because it was, it was being fostered by, by a diaspora because the people had all left. It was, I was sleeping in a tent, right, in a... In a um, in a filling station forecourt, kind of underneath the diesel tap, um, right. because there was absolutely nowhere to stay. Everything was shot. It was a ghost city. I mean, when in the world do you see a, a ghost city? There was nobody there. The only people that hadn't left were either people who were looking after their homes, and there were very, very few of them, or there was rumours of kind of drug-addicted, very heavily armed gangs roaming the streets, smashing into into uh, gun stores, getting more ammo, and you heard gunfire at night. It was a pretty spooky time to be around. The army, where you drive the wrong way down the motorway, knowing that there'd be nobody else, and then an army truck would come flying up the other side. It was it was very very Mad Max, but the diaspora were on the outside looking in, and some of the people who had stayed, as you say. The, the, the Superdome, the the, uh, the Saints opened the Superdome, and they went in there. Now, it, it would be wrong to paint that as a, as a kind of fairy tale and a, and a very happy story, because some of what went on inside the Superdome was pretty bleak. And yeah. if anybody's ever been in a, in, a, in a confined space where people are forced to live, which doesn't have the infrastructure to cope with that, it's pretty grim. I was out in the States, uh, what, 18 months ago or two years ago, covering Hurricane Irma, and I spent four days in a high school, uh, which should have decent infrastructure. And, you know, after the first... 36 hours, the toilets get blocked up and, and then people get grumpy and everybody gets irritable and uh, it, it becomes pretty unpleasant pretty quickly and that's exactly what it was like inside the Superdome. But goodness knows what those people would have done without the Saints opening it up. Yeah. And I think the bond is, is still strong, isn't it, between the community and their team. Absolutely, and I think that you're right, you know, the situation was bad, there was no making better of that. I think the fact that there was that camaraderie, that pulled together and for the most part um, when you go, the, you know, there's museums in the sort of centre of New Orleans now that are sharing information and personal stories it gives detail about how things went so horribly wrong and there is mm. definitely an admission from the, the city, you know, we, we did things on the cheap in certain areas, we fell foul of that, there's, there's a putting up of hands, probably a little too little too late but there is definitely now this sort of seems to be this bond this this event brought them together um and in the city itself it's a very chilled out atmosphere it's very different to the rest of the states that i've been to um yeah a, a different type of atmosphere and, and and genuinely a very friendly city um but a great place to be obviously with the the superdome being so central in the city center as well it is a yeah. natural beacon in the center that people would be drawn to it was cover it was damaged itself. They've they've obviously spent some money doing it up, and I think they're yeah. proud of the fact that you know even in that darkest of time they found a way to pull together. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you're right about the atmosphere within New Orleans. They're very proud of, and they've got a reputation, obviously, for being the you know the the, the city of jazz and Mardi Gras and all that, and the place to go and have a good time. And and it's a, that's a decent reputation to have. You know, if your if your home's going to be known for anything, being a, a, a kind of good time, boozy, bluesy, jazzy music place where people have fun isn't you know that's not bad. That's not a bad. Um, 
characteristic to be known for. But yeah, there was certainly my, my memories. I'm, I have to say, I've been back to New Orleans since. My memories of New Orleans was a city that felt completely betrayed, and and you know, Negan was pushing this narrative that that they were being forgotten by a Republican president because the people who were suffering here were black Democrat voters, and the the narrative that was being pumped was didn't really, you know, they didn't really matter because they weren't going to get them back into power. Now you can make what you like of that of that accusation. Yeah. It may or may not have been true. It may have been true in part, but who knows? But it was a it was a pretty profound uh, message to send, especially when it took so long for for Bush to land there. Yeah. Now, obviously, you touched on the fact that you're back in Scotland, a more pedestrian, as you put it, but having to present live every night is no easy thing to do, and that's exactly what you're doing on the nine. How have things been going with the show and with the new BBC Scotland channel? Good, yeah, really good. Um, as you say, it's a, it's a new, it's a completely new shtick for me, uh, this presenting lark. Um, I was, you know, I'd got used to being a reporter. I'd done it for almost 30 years, and you know, trotting around with a notepad and jotting stuff down, writing a script, sitting in an edit and banging it out two, three minutes a night. This is a completely new challenge, totally out of my comfort zone. Uh, and I'm having great fun. It's quite good to, to get a bit of a buzz, a bit of adrenaline back. Um, I missed the travel a wee bit, but then I was doing far too much of it. When you're doing kind of 200 nights in hotel rooms every year, it's, it, it takes its toll. So it's good to be home, uh, and this is a great project to be involved in. The launch of any new uh, news programme, I mean, to be involved in the launch of a news programme is a rarity these days. I mean, I think five news probably started, what, 20 years ago, Sky News 30 years ago. It doesn't, it doesn't come around often. And I came in about six months before the start, so we got a chance to shape this thing and, and decide what we wanted to look like and how we wanted to sound and feel. And you know, it's a slow burn. There's been, you'll see, there's been quite a lot in the press about building an audience. It's, you know, it, their audience figures are are actually what everybody told us they would be and what we expected them to be uh, on average at the moment. Uh, you know, there are people who latch on to the, the, the nights where we, we do less well than, than we'd expected. They certainly don't report us eagerly on the many nights where we do far yeah. better. Than expected, but but anybody who thinks that that coming in and and going from not to 100 miles an hour with an audience on a channel that didn't exist four months ago, either doesn't know the industry or doesn't want you to succeed. Um, it's a slow burn. Judges on an audience after a couple of years, when people know where we are and get used to watching it. The thing for me, right, is that 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 the the, the reviews and the the reception that we've had from the from the people who are watching has been almost um, astonishingly positive. I mean, I'd have settled, especially in this polarised country we live in at the moment. Fifty-fifty would have been a would have been a decent um, level of feedback. We're getting, I guess, eighty eighty-five percent positive feedback, which is which is really rewarding. So you know, build it and they will come and all that. As was it Kevin Costner said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, and 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 that's the philosophy here. We're just keeping on keeping on trying to get better every day, and um, and people are enjoying what we're watching. Having an hour every night, so you can do decent sized films and get under the skin of things. And and give a bit of context and analysis off the back of a news report. It's great. It's um, there's a big space in the market for what we are doing. I think, and um, you know, more, uh, as time goes on, more and more people will come and find us, and and hopefully enjoy what we're putting out every night. But it's great fun. Love it. No, absolutely. It's been great watching it. There's been some really fascinating stuff on there. It's a lovely look at humanity as well. It's a lovely side of Scotland to be shown. Um, you don't shy away from the more difficult conversations either. Obviously, your experience is going to be perfect for that. Uh, I think it's certainly, it's been great every single time I've tuned in and watched it. And uh, I'll be making a pitch to you off air, of course, how we get some of the Scottish guys that are over in the UK onto this show. Obviously, we've got... Um, uh, 
Jamie Gillen, who's at the Browns. We've got yeah. David Ajabo, who's just gone to Michigan College. We've got Cameron Craig, who's gone and played the indoor arena. So I'll be making that pitch off air, um, Martin. So get ready for that one. Well, but, I mean, seriously, <laughs> don't just say that. Do it. We're all yeah. up for that. That's exactly what we're about. We're all about that. We, we you know, watch our sports bulletin every night. It's not just Scottish. Uh, although we feature on the Scottish, it's we're, we're you know, uh, and and it's not certainly not just football. In fact, we do football when we have to, and we enjoy doing everything else more. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we're we're right up for that. So stand by. Brilliant. Right. Last two questions that I normally do at the beginning, but going to keep to the end. One, oh. we never asked you what team you would root for in the NFL. <laughs> well, um, I had a bit of a formative, a bonding experience with my boy. We were over in the states uh, three years ago on a family holiday, three four years ago. Uh, we were in New York for a week and I took him on to see the Jets um, primarily because they, 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 they were the team that were playing at home that week um, and they got thumped they got thumped by the Bills 42 oh, yeah, 22 yeah, I think yeah I remember but, it was but, a proper doing <laughs> it was a proper doing um, but yeah in the, third, in the third quarter Michael Vick came on yeah. and uh, I got a text from my mate who was, who was a big Jets fan he said oh oh uh, you know, it, things will shake up now. Vic's coming on, and my son said, "What is it about him?" I said, <laughs> "Google him. Uh, he's not a good man." But anyway, he came on and turned. He came on and turned the game. Um, but it was good. I just, I also think they're kind of up and down team, and and sort of blow hot and cold. And when they do well, their fans love it, and they really get behind them. And the rest of the time, they kind of rump. And there's something that's that 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 feels homely as a heart supporter. About that. About, about following that a team in team green. Kind of performance. Well, yeah, but you can, you can be colourblind sometimes, can't you? You can be colourblind when you want to be. Absolutely. I'd rather do that than the team in red, white, and blue on the other, when, <laughs> on the other Saturday. No, I'm not giving. No, actually, no, I'm fastidiously neutral when it comes to Scottish people. Yeah. No, no. I'm a heart <laughs> Right, last question then before we let you go. Um, we always ask this of everyone. If you were to have played the game yourself, what position would you like to have played? Um, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said anything other than a wide receiver. Okay, that's good. I just kind of, I watched, you know what, Scott Cooper became quite a good mate when we were uh, covering the Claymores, and as did, I was really quite fond of Alan de Graffenried, remember him? Yep. Went over and pl- uh, played with the 49ers after a season with the Claymores, and I just used to sit and watch them in training and just think that's just a cool position. Yeah. Probably, probably, because actually... Uh, as anybody who I played Sunday League football in Edinburgh for for twenty years, as anybody who watched me will know, uh, I, I'm a bit of a kind of white boots, fancy pants merchant, but scared of getting hit. So, uh... <laughs> so as long as you could outrun them, you'd be yeah. fine. Yeah, big yeah. Jesse. I'm not fast enough, but that's where I'd like to have been played. Big Jesse, who likes the big moments. <laughs> Catching a hail, a catching a hail Mary to win the game. That'd be what I was all about. But like running away from the big boys in case they hurt me. Brilliant. Well, it's kept you safe thus far, Martin. Don't change it. Don't change it. Good to speak to you, Cameron. Yeah, thanks for coming on, and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers, mate. All Cheers. Day. So many thanks to Martin for giving us his time. Fascinating to hear some of his Claymore stories and really interesting to hear some of the things he's been doing since then as well. Make sure that you tune in to The Nine on BBC Scotland and give it a watch. It really is a really good show. So that concludes everything then for 57. We hope you've enjoyed listening. And again, we'd love to hear your feedback, good and bad. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash ScotlandNFL. Now, in particular, over the coming weeks ahead of us starting to look at the 2019 season, myself and Paul are wanting to give out our weekly Scottish Slanted Awards. However, they are up for review. Do we keep them the same as last year? Of course, we had the Honkin Award, the most Scottish-like performance, and he's had his porridge. Do we keep them or do we change them? We're going to be looking 
looking for your input, your ideas, so that we can set in our three weekly awards. In fact, we could expand it to four. But keep your eye on Twitter. We'll be sharing more details about that very, very soon. Please do keep sharing and chatting about the podcast. We'll continue to see the numbers grow and keep sharing it with all your NFL friends. Thanks again to Martin for joining us. We'll be back again very soon. We might try and see if we can get something before myself and Paul are back at the end of July. But until then, bye for now.